Let's talk about that speech with Claire and Rachel. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Let's Talk About Speech podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Claire. And we're back for another episode. Just a reminder that you can find all of our brand new resource guides on our Teachers Pay Teachers account. So if you need to check that out, go to our Instagram and you can find the link there. Today on the podcast, we are joined by Natalie Wambacher, and we are so excited to talk with her about a topic that we have not touched really at all. So Natalie, thank you so much for being here to talk to us about cleft palate and craniofacial. Thank you for having me. Yes. I'm very excited. Hopefully I can answer your question. Absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's a little out of our wheelhouse. So I'm sure you're going to provide a lot of information that we and our listeners will really be excited to hear. Um, so to start off, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself as an SLP and how you became interested in this area, this specialty area? Sure. So um, I did my undergraduate at the University of Illinois, and I went into undergrad as I was like, I'm going to be pre-med. I'm going to be pre-med. I was a declared biology major. And then I got to like my junior year, and I was like, I'm not going to be pre-med, and I'm not going to be a biology (laughs) major is basically how that went. Um, And so I was kind of at a loss as to like what I was going to do, but I knew that like my brain really kind of clicked with science. So I was home and I was talking to one of our family friends and she was like, have you ever thought about speech pathology? And I'm like, I have no idea what that is, (laughs) Um, which I feel like that happens a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, And so she's like, you know, I happen to know one of the coordinators at Illinois States Clinic. Um, Would you like to meet her? And so I met with her name's Linda Bowman. And uh, Linda was like, I think you be really good at this. So I switched my major um, and basically did three years um, in a semester and a half or no, I did it. Yeah, no, I guess it was the one and a half years. Um, Got into grad school at Illinois State um, and then Illinois State, I'm kind of finding as I've like spoken with different programs is set up um, when you do your externships, you actually take the last semester of your program and you can go anywhere. Um, to do your externship. So I actually went to St. Louis. And so I was with um, the St. Louis children's cleft palate team. And then I was also in the school system there. Um, So divided the semester. And um, from there, there were two fellowships that year for craniofacial speech. Um, I ended up getting the one at Nationwide Children's Hospital in Ohio. Um, And the whole fellowship story is like another story for that's another episode that's a whole other episode you ever want to talk about getting cfys um and uh yeah so i didn't find out till i want to say like may 31st like june 1st and then you have to be there in august and so i moved to that's a hustle um, yeah (laughs) i moved to columbus yeah um and then i was there for a year and then i I got recruited to the University of Michigan. And so I moved from, I know everybody like talks, they're like, oh, you went from like Buckeye territory to Wolverine <laughs> territory. Um, and got hired onto the cleft palate team there. And then I was there for eight years mm-hmm. and decided to, um, I decided I, I really like research. I do enjoy doing research. 
some days more than others, but um, currently, so I actually just left the University of Michigan in August of 2021 and moved out to Arizona. And I am about a year out from finishing my PhD now. So congratulations. And then Lord knows where I'm going to go after that. But, you know, it's fine. <laughs> Obviously I'm very mobile. I'm good at moving. So um, yeah, but yeah, I got into cleft mainly because for me, it's in my opinion, it's one of the more like sciencey sides of speech mm-hmm. pathology. Not that it's not all sciencey if you really kind of got get down to it, but it really um, kind of meshed a lot of my interests. So obviously there's the whole patient care aspect, but it also has kind of a genetic aspect that you can talk about. I like the treatment for, I like how you work with kids with cleft. It's very much kind of an algorithm. um, And you just kind of tailor that algorithm to each child. I also really like the collaboration because you're definitely not an island unto yourself. Um, So there's a lot of different aspects of it that just really appealed to me. But yeah, that's kind of my story in a nutshell. I love it. That's lots of, um, I feel like so many accomplishments just to get to this point. And I feel like your biggest accomplishment is, you know, just a year away, which is so cool. Um, so I know you mentioned your time at Mott, you were there for eight years, uh, eight years. Yeah. I'm (laughs) very familiar with Mott. My boys are there literally all the time. Um, yeah. And so I'm kind of curious, like what did a typical day look like for you in that setting? I didn't really have a typical day, I would say, but, um, let's talk about, well, well, like, so the, the big team day, um, is I'm sure it still is on Wednesdays. And so essentially what that is, is we would have anywhere between 10 and 12 kids come in. Um, and then they would meet with me. They'd see the plastic surgeon, the oral surgeon, the dental group, the orthodontic group, neuropsychology, social work, audiology. I think I said oral surgery already, but yeah. So then they would meet with all those specialists. And so, um, I typically had to get through the 10, 10 to 12 of them um, in the morning. And then we had some of the afternoon providers came in granted if like clinic was moving slow for whatever reason, and you needed to like circle back or like pop in and see a patient in the afternoon. Um, so that was, that was a typical Wednesday, um, as a craniofacial speech pathologist. So I worked for, I had three plastic surgeons and then I had two oral surgeons and then, um, every, I think it was like every first Monday, there was a um, a pediatric neurosurgery and a pediatric um, combined with the pediatric plastic surgery clinic. And that's where all the craniosynostosis kids um, were managed. So I had some Mondays where I would kind of like float in between that. If there were some kiddos that needed to be seen. Um, otherwise after that, like throughout the week, it was a different surgeon's clinic and there'd be some therapy appointments sprinkled in there. It was, it's, it's, it was very kind of fast paced. Um, it was kind of nice that like it wasn't there really weren't like typical days like some Mondays I was in a pro I went we had a prosthodontist clinic um where I would help make the obturators if some of the kids needed that um that was that clinic was also the one that kind of in, I, I would also take care of kids with rhabdomyosarcomas of the palate mm-hmm. um so like post-surgery post-surgically they could be like hypernasal and things like mm-hmm. that so um help manage that with their physician teams so yeah, it wasn't really typical. Yeah. It was all, it was kind of busy. Yeah. Um, but I mean, like you'd have, you know, like the surgeons had like conferences or whatever, you would have kind of a slower week in there mm-hmm. or, you know, like 
as you know, with Michigan winters, like you have mm-hmm. some days where patients are like, yeah, I'm not coming. Yeah, no. Like I can't mm-hmm. get out of my driveway. Right. So yeah. yeah. Um, I'm, I'm curious how many, um, craniofacial SLPs were like on your team? Like how many of you guys, or is it, it just, just you? It was just me. Was yeah. just me. <laughs> so you were busy. <laughs> I was very busy. And um, prior to me leaving, they had talked about adding a couple more clinics, um, mm-hmm. to the point where I was kind of like, I am one person, mm-hmm. like, and there's five days in the week. Right. Um, oh so yeah, I definitely get like, I, I, sometimes I felt like I could kind of commiserate with like school-based SLPs who are also spread really thin. Yes. <laughs> with those caseloads and things like that. I was getting to the point with that where I was like, um, I mean, I mean, and you always want to do what's right by the kids, like, right. but you also like, there's also the practicality of like, I have to document, I need to eat lunch. Mm-hmm. Um, I need to like sneak away and use the restroom. Like, yeah. you know, like that's also just like how a day, you know, needs to flow to and have some other, yeah. Yeah. Some of those necessities oh, built in. Yeah, absolutely. So kind of going off of that, what do you feel like are some challenges to working in that type of specialty clinic? Um, I think, I think besides the fact that you're the only one, um, and obviously productivity, but, um, any other challenges that you run into, you're, you're like, probably just took your, <laughs> I, mean, took like, one, to <laughs> um, I think so. One of the mantras I, I had, and I still have is, um, you have to kind of remind yourself that you're advocating for kids yeah. and, um, and it's not always easy. Like, I mean, I'll be honest with you. Like there were times with some of the plastic surgeons, um, like we did not see eye to eye. We did not agree mm-hmm. with the treatment plan. And I think that's a normal part of working with people. Um, and I think at the end of the day, like, even if it's uncomfortable, but you know, like in your heart of hearts, like the right thing to do is to challenge this decision that's being made. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be really hard to stand up for yourself, but at the end of the day, like you standing up for yourself is in effect also standing up for one of these kids. And that's what we're here to do. And that's what you're there to do, regardless of the population that you care for. So, um, yeah. So when there were times where I didn't agree with judgment calls and things like that, like, I mean, you, you, I got better at it over time, but you know, the first couple of times we are like, um, excuse me, I, um, I don't agree with that. Mm-hmm. But then that slowly became one of those where it's like, listen, yeah. <laughs> you're wrong. but it takes time. And I think that that's one thing, like you can talk about it, but I don't think it's something that you can necessarily teach. I think it's, you know, being enough of those situations that you kind of develop that backbone and realize like why you're working with these kids and all the different ways that you do need to advocate for them. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm curious how collaboration kind of played a role in those, like, evaluations and treatments, because you mentioned, I don't know, like seven or eight people that you kind of would like would team together. So how did, how did that look? So, um, one of my like absolute besties, um, on the team was neuropsychology. We had Michigan has a fabulous group of neuropsychologists and, um, they were really good. I mean, granted, like we're considered language experts, but they were also really good at picking up on some of the nuances that you know, maybe you like didn't have time to catch just for whatever, because mm-hmm. you only get like 10 to 15 minutes with the kids on a team day. Um, so sometimes like, or if something would come up, that was sometimes one of the first groups where I'd be like, Hey, when you go back in there, like this kind of came up when we were discussing school, can you like probe that a little bit more? Mm-hmm. So 
there was that aspect of it. Um, I think the other big part of it is kind of like a big thing with the cleft craniofacial population is you're constantly discussing timing and it's timing for various surgeries, timing for various procedures. And you need the input of not only like the surgeons for maybe it's like jaw surgery or something, but um, you're also working closely with the orthodontist at that point in time to make sure like teeth are ready, like pre-surgically. And then you're also kind of trying to figure out like if they're hypernasal, like when are you going to fit in the assessment for that? So I would say one of the one of the main conversations we were having, regardless of whether it was the cleft population or the craniofacial population was timing um, and making sure that everybody was on the same page and also making sure like the family was kind of on board with that because you would have families that would show up thinking like a certain surgery was happening at some point in time and then you kind of had to be the bear of bad news. Mm-hmm. And like, well, like this isn't ready and this isn't ready. So we can't do this right. um, sort of thing. Um, so that, that one kind of fits more with like the jaw surgery, I would say in terms of like the speech surgeries, um, that was a major conversation between me, the plastic surgeon, the families. And I would say that the American Cleft Palate Association has also really been pushing for like the kids to be involved in those discussions too. This Mm -hmm. is a highly search, like this population has a ton of surgeries. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you do get kids who like rightfully so they're tired of having surgery mm-hmm. and I a hundred percent respect that. And I get that. Um, and so one thing that I would say really kind of started to happen probably around like 2017, 2018 is we would tell them like what we found during the evaluation. So maybe they were hypernasal, maybe we passed the scope and they had a fairly large like velopharyngeal gap and we're recommending some sort of surgical intervention for it. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that's kind of started to change is it was finally like, okay, like I can tell you all these things that are going on, but like, how do you feel? Mm-hmm. Like, is this impacting you in your day-to-day life? Yeah. And some kids would be like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like I like, I heard, I, I get that. Like, you know, can I think about it? Mm-hmm. And I think that was a, that, that's a huge win for mm-hmm. everybody involved in that because I mean, speech is quality of life. Um, right. It really, really is. And if kids are doing okay, like let's let them continue to do okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like I mean, we can do speech surgeries pretty much anytime. Jaw surgeries, those those, those are those have a lot to rely on with like maturation and growth mm-hmm. and all that stuff. But like speech surgeries, like we can, we can do those at any time. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's there. So um, those would probably be like the main collaborations. But I mean, also just you have all these professionals in a room and. Mm-hmm sitting and listening to, you know, kind of like their specialty and how it fits into like the bigger piece of this child. And again, just, I think the theme of today is going to be doing what's right by these kids. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I love that you are putting such an emphasis now on incorporating those kids in, into the conversation. I'm curious if, and this may just be my mind wandering, but um, I'm curious if parents and kids ever have like conflicting opinions on that then? So if you're incorporating the child's opinion in, if their parents ever have a different opinion and how you manage that, does that ever happen? I don't know if like, I mean, I won't say that I've ever like been privy to those right. conversations I'm necessarily. Just yeah. Um, I'm thinking back, I did, I did have a patient and, um, I mean, you always, it's always nice when parents like do respect your opinion as a professional, like that's always great. Right. Um, but I did have a family and we were like, 
your child is really hypernasal, um, you know, we would maybe recommend like actually doing a speech surgery. I think he was getting ready to go to college mm-hmm. and we're like, you know, this might actually be like a good time to do this. Yeah. Like this is a big life transition right, right. here. And the parents are like, he's going to do it. But like the t- he was over 18. He's like, mm, but I'm not. Mm-hmm. And I think the dad was actually kind of like, could you leave for a minute? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what I mean. Like, I imagine that would be pretty uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. I, I don't know if he actually, I, I don't think yeah. he actually got the speech surgery, which like good for him. Like mm-hmm. stand up well, for right. yourself. Exactly. Like, yeah. I, I think that's great. Yeah. Um, so interesting. So yeah, that's awesome. Um, so kind of, sorry, going along no, with you're that. Right. <laughs> Again, I, my mind was just wandering to that with having kids have an opinion with that, if there was ever that conflict, but, um, there's, um, there's a tool we actually have. There's a new skit. It's called the velopharyngeal effects on life outcomes. It's called mm-hmm. velo for short. It mm-hmm. was, um, the first author on it is Skirko. And I think it's either 2013 or 2015 is the mm-hmm. year. Yeah. Um, so there's a parent version and a child version of oh, that nice. one. And, um, it actually does talk all about the impact of speech on yeah. the child and the parent. So that has oh. been one kind of, um, quality of life measurement that started to be incorporated into more, um, cleft teams yeah. so that you can kind of see, mm-hmm. um, the thing is the kids can't take the, um, like the adolescent one, I believe it's called, or the, it's youth, it's youth. Um, and so they're about eight, mm-hmm. um, parents, it's obviously at any point in time. And the only difference really between the series of questions is that they're, the parents have a section that's called caregiver impact. Mm-hmm. And so that gives us like, obviously the caregivers and or parent an opportunity to kind of talk about like yeah. how the speech um, and things like that kind yeah. of impact them. So we do have like one standardized tool for it that's yeah. gaining some, gaining some headway. And I yeah. think people are starting to use it. And I think that's, that's also so really, really helpful too. Absolutely. So. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. I think that's great that that's moving forward. So, so much in your area. Um, so we talked a little bit, or you mentioned a little bit about therapy sessions. So I'm curious kind of how, well, this is twofold, I guess, how that looks. And then also for the younger kids, especially how you incorporate their parents into that, into like carryover practice at home. So, um, for kids who are probably about three, um, I've, most three-year-olds, when I've worked with them, they're pretty good at doing like table time and floor time. So making that nice transition, which then means you can get some of that nice, like drill-based yeah. um, intervention in there. Um, my favorite take-home or homework way for kids and parents is, um, it's called Take 5. I'm sure you've maybe like heard some renditions of it. Yeah. Essentially, it's um, depending upon where the kids were. We, a lot of the there's a lot of research, both on like a phonetic base and kind of a motor based for working with kids with cleft, particularly if they have the compensatory articulations. Right. And so the idea is that you work them up from like isolation into syllables and birds and yeah. so on and so forth. So based upon where the kids are, um, you encourage the parents to kind of set up a situation where anytime it might be like the child and the mom, maybe they're in the car. Oh, you know what? We're in the car before we can turn the radio on. I need to hear like five good S sounds or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, and then obviously transition that as it gets into syllables and words. Um, my parents who have done that and have reported back on it did tell me like that was a nice, easy way to get like these quick little bursts of therapy in. And then they weren't feeling like they were like, okay, come on, like go sit at the kitchen table. We got, right. you know, an hour of this to practice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was one thing I kind of did for like your three-year-olds on up, um, with the little ones, we're 
I'm starting to look at, and there's some, there's some research with the cleft popula population. It's um, enhanced milieu teaching with phonological emphasis. Mm. Um, essentially what it is, is it's training the parents to kind of be the interventionist. Granted, like as the SLP who's running it, like you still work with the child and things like that in it. But the idea is that you're teaching parents, you know, kind of how to recast and what to recast, how to set up the environment to elicit more um, speech and language and things like that. But in a way that it's like natural and not forced. Mm -hmm. And so we just actually finished up a study um, comparing uh, Brazilian Portuguese speakers to um, English speakers and there were toddlers with cleft up and palate. And we did successfully, like, <laughs> it was it was like cross-linguistic and we, it was oh, culturally wow. appropriate and stuff. So we're getting ready for that. Oh, that's um, great. But yeah, the idea is just making it functional for kids and the parents in the home, I think is what it is. And one of the big things we do is we kind of talk about the parent, we ask the parents, like, what are words that are important to you and your family? Because if you leave it to me, we're going to start off like, and be sound that's what we're gonna do yeah. um but you know if like grandpa wants to go by something special like please tell me and we will like work on it and figure out mm -hmm. how to incorporate it mm -hmm. um but it's very much also based on kind of following the child's lead so finding like figuring out what the child is interested in and then while engaging that activity incorporating um speech and language and so so far we've seen like some nice like there's been uh, new and different word development with that. We've seen new speech sounds emerge. Um, and there was in the phonetic inventory. So that would go with the phonetic inventory. So increased vocabulary and increased phonetic inventories with those. It's hard to kind of suss out the language necessarily just because you have that whole maturation effect in there. Um, but language does typically improve when you do kind of set this environment and then teach the parents how to model and then coach the kids through it. So so interesting. I know it's like so far separated from what I do as a speech pathologist. Right. It's crazy to me yeah. that like, and I say this on, I don't know, like all of our it episodes when lot, we talk yeah. to guests that are in different fields, I'm like, how do we have the same degree? Like we can yeah. practice the same things. <laughs> do you ever um, collaborate with teachers then of the kids? Like once they're school age, do you mm -hmm. collaborate with them to, or well, teachers and I guess school SLPs? That they yeah. were that was one of my big thing. That was one of the big things that was um, kind of hammered in when yeah. I was, um, especially in my fellowship. I would say, and even to it, even even in my externship. So, um, Lynn Marty Grames was in, was a person in charge of me during my externship with the club team, and she actually found a way for the school based SLPs or really any of the SLPs that were working with the kids to actually come to St. Louis Children's Hospital and get oh, CEUs. Wow. Mm -hmm. um, and so they could actually like come in and like observe a therapy session, talk to her, ask her her like all the questions and stuff. And they could theoretically take like business time because she had figured out how to get them CEUs. That's so amazing. Between, yes. So between her and then um, Dr. Adrian Bayless was my, was the person in charge of me at Nationwide. She was like, you will call school SLPs just so mm -hmm. we're clear. You will call them. Mm -hmm. She's like, I understand you are busy. They are busier. You will call them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, Bless her heart. Um, so that was, so like, that was a big part of like the team days and getting information um, from the parents about the therapy and things like that was like, are you seeing speech at school? And if you are like, 
okay, what school is it? Um, okay, mm-hmm. well, like I will call them. Um, mm-hmm. Or yeah, I would usually call just because I feel like sometimes like the emails just get like lost for mm-hmm. tour school SLPs. I feel bad. Um, but then obviously if you like call a couple times and like nobody's connecting, that's when you're like, hey, this is like my email. Do you just want to like email me and let me <laughs> yeah. know like a good time? Yeah. yeah. And I'll just keep calling and like, sorry if I'm a pest. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm sure they so appreciate that. Though, yeah, because, for sure. You know, having you as the specialist when they're, they may not know as much um, about the student that they have. It's it's probably so helpful for goal selection and therapy selection. Like that's awesome. I mean, I loved when the kids were also getting who, what, like if they'd come see me and then they were also getting um, yeah. school services because like language is not my strong suit with targeting. And sometimes I think it's hard to, when like, it's the child speaking to an adult. Mm-hmm. Um, and so sometimes it was kind of nice to be like, Hey, guess what? I can tackle the Arctic if you want to tackle mm-hmm. the language yeah. stuff. And everybody was always like, yes. yes. <laughs> so it was also kind of like a divide and conquer. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's definitely been, that's always been kind of like how I've looked at it. Plus like, I don't know, like, I think some of the surgeries get kind of confusing that the kids have to have. And mm-hmm. as much as I love my little cleft kids, they can't always explain it, like what's happening. Like right. they would talk about alveolar bone grafting and I like, I would talk to the school-based SLP. She'd be like, so his mouth is going to be, and I'd be like, his mouth will actually be fine. His hip will be a little sore, <laughs> yeah. but like his mouth will actually probably be okay. Yeah. Like you probably won't notice a whole lot of difference in his speech. Maybe like, if you want, like maybe give him like two or three weeks off, mm-hmm. um, if that makes you feel better, but like, oh. it'll be his hip. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so yeah, I mean, I just, I feel like when you're in these roles and you have these specialized populations, I, I think I, I think a challenge that we all need to like take on, um, is to be available to the community. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, I would be a terrible, like school-based SLP. I'll be hundred percent honest with you. Cause like, I can't like, like I said, I'm terrible at targeting language. I would be like, I don't know. Do you want to, I don't know. <laughs> like, I know. So like you're saying, like, we all have the same degree. Yeah. I can tell you, you're, there's plenty of things you can probably run circles around me with. So. <laughs> So funny. Um, All right. So do you have any advice that you would give to any listeners or people that are interested in learning more about cleft and craniofacial um, or like gaining, like even how they would gain experience or start to dive deeper into that portion of our field? So unfortunately, like not not a lot of programs even offer like a cleft course, which I'm hoping that's going to be changing. There's some research that just came out where they surveyed a bunch of um, schools in the United States. I believe Kaslyn Mason and Dr. Oh, Jamie Perry. Oh, do you I know work, her? I work with her. Yeah, Kaslyn. Yeah. She, she's You'll wonderful. Have to, yeah, no, she's great. She's at UVA. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so she just published with Dr. Jamie Perry and they uh-huh. did this survey mm-hmm. um, and they were trying to see like what, like what, what, diagnoses do school-based SLPs typically see and so what came back is like most most SLPs reported like I have seen a child with a craniofacial anomaly but what we they didn't see was that most of them were saying that they'd seen a child with like a disfluency and Mm -hmm. so the point kind of being that like there's a lot of emphasis on disfluency in grad programs and then cleft is kind of like shoved over to the side um so I'm hoping that that research helps to kind of change that within programs, but 
Um, if you are in a master's program and you're hoping to maybe get into this or just to gain some knowledge, um, I would research and see if there are any cleft palate teams in your area to start off with. An easy way to do that is if you go to the American Cleft Palate Craniofacial Association's website, um, they'll have a list of all the cleft palate teams um, state by state, and you can see if there is one. Um, and then I would kind of find out if your grad school or whomever organizes like your externships can, can, can organize that for you. It might look better if you have like your clinical supervisor reaching out just because there's, as we know, there's a ton of paperwork, mm -hmm. like, and it's, it, there's just a ton of paperwork. And as a grad student, like, yeah, like just let somebody else do that or tell <laughs> you where you need to sign on the dotted line. Um, I would say um, within ASHA SIG-5 is dedicated entirely to um, craniofacial anomalies. I think it's more like voice. No, it's craniofacial. I should know what the exact title that is, but forgive me. Um, that one is the one where all the craniofacial information is. So also when there's fellowships, those are posted. Um, they'll also post like if they, I think it's, I want to say it's Oregon. I could be making that up, but one of them does do a CFY that has cleft. It's not fully cleft, but you would get to see kind of everything. Um, and yeah, anybody who has like opportunities for students, they will post in that. Um, I did a master's thesis on cleft palate. Um, that's kind of how I got my, I mean, you know, we have our moments. <laughs> I don't know if it was one of my prouder moments, but um, <laughs> we just try. Um, um, I would say like, if, if, if it is an interest, I, I would maybe see if there's like a project you can partner with, um, one of your faculty with. Um, cause I think if nothing else, it makes you sit and read the literature on it. Right. Um, and I will be honest, like the first couple of times you read the literature on cleft craniofacial speech, it's very confusing. Um, I, there's one of, it's like the blue, I, I don't know, there, there's a blue textbook. I shouldn't also know the authors on it. I'm terrible. Um, and I remember like the first time I read it, I was like, I have no idea what this book says. I, like, I still, I still remember like this immense sense of like, I have no idea what's going on in this. I learning. And now I look at it, I'm like, oh yes, it's just so yeah. like, just keep exposing yourself um, to the literature and the research on it. I think that's always helpful. Um, I'm trying to think what else to do. Obviously, like, like I think Amer the American Club Health Association is also starting to have more like podcasts where they're interviewing like different professionals within the field, um, which is also a good thing to kind of hear like, because those essentially, if you were to be on the cleft palate, like those would be your colleague. Like, mm -hmm. You will be working with psychologists. You will be working with surgeons. And it's kind of good to hear like how they approach um, it's obviously it's the same situation, but it's approached uh, under different lenses. Right. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think what else I do, but I would say the other thing too, to kind of remember is although kids with a history of cleft lip and palate are predisposed to their own class of speech errors, mm -hmm. still like they're still just kids. And mm -hmm. so um, just kind of having that approach that this is just like another like four-year-old or another five-year-old. Yeah. Like they have a couple like different speech errors and you might be used to, but they like to play, they like to play the same games. They'll respond to like drill-based activities. Um, and I think that's also one thing that sometimes kind of gets lost in the shuffle with this population too, is like, just approach them as you would any other child. Mm -hmm. right. So yeah, 
Absolutely. That's such, I good. don't know if that helped or if no, I gave it of course. Oh my. <laughs> I'm just like I'm soaking so it all in and we're, we're taking notes. Both Rachel and I are like, take it all yeah. because no, you've given so many good resources and so many good, um, pieces of information. So we oh, really appreciate it. Yeah. Another one. Um, that's good. It's called the leaders project. Okay. Um, that has a lot of really good, um, cleft craniofacial resources on it too. Um, that one is out of Columbia. Okay. Um, her name is Dr. Kate Crowley. She developed that website cause she does a ton of international work. So it's also, I think everything's been translated into Spanish on there too. So if you cool. one, it's a nice resource, yeah. it has, um, I think there's also, I think it has like three modules to go through to, okay. to kind of start seeing if you're kind of hearing, yeah. um, the American Cleft Palate Association, if you just kind of want to start hearing what some of the speech sounds like, I believe under the education subheading, um, they actually do have resources for speech pathologists. And it does actually have like speech samples and things like that, that you can listen to um, and kind of start to familiarize yourself with kind of what you're hearing and or what you're listening for. Yeah. Yeah. That's so helpful. I'm sure that your training piece of it, just to start listening. Um, yeah, that's great. I didn't even know that was out there as a resource. So I'm excited to look up. I think it should be, you should be able to find it now. ACPA just like redid their entire website. So it should be easily navigatable. Perfect. That's what we like. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, Natalie, thank you so much again for being on here. We will have all of your information. Oh, sorry. Um, is there anywhere that our listeners can go to find any information on what you're doing? Cause I know you're up to a lot of things. Do you have any, like, anywhere I do, that you want to send them? <laughs> I do. I do have a website. I could, Perfect. it's through strikingly. I will send it to you guys. Cause Perfect. I'm not, I literally like just That's made a, it and yeah. it was for a grade and, um, <laughs> Because this is the life of a student. These are things right. you do as a PhD yes. student. <laughs> a um, student. So I will figure out what the address is for that Perfect. and I will yeah. send it to you. Yeah, we will put um, that in our resource guide for you guys. Um, so um, perfect. Thank you. That will be fun. Yeah, we're getting, we're, we're working with, um, so Enhanced Mood Teaching, we actually just um, translated it to Korean. And oh my gosh, so amazing. we're doing a single case design wow. with three toddlers with Cleft and Palette in Seoul. And so, um, yes. So How exciting um, for you. No wonder you're, you just keep going. You have all these exciting. I mean, projects. no kidding. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we're that's, that's, that's the big project right now. So yeah, it's amazing. It's, it's moving. Um, it's been fun. It's, yeah. I don't speak Korean. So I sit there more so for like the resonance piece with right, um, right. the girl in my program, who's actually from South Korea. Okay. And, yeah. um, yeah, afterwards where I'm like, yeah, I think he was hypernasal. Um, I think it was on this. And then you're like, mm, but I don't really know what he was saying. And, right. oh gosh, that's so hard. Oh, but what a cool experience though. That's amazing. I, yeah, I would say if, people internationally, like they love to collaborate. And I think, and I don't think they always know who to reach out to either. So I would say if you are interested in any sort of research, like, yeah, you have anything that can kind of be translated or whatever, um, people are open to that. So, but yeah, it's cool. And it's neat. It's neat to like to have this exposure to these different cultures. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure. Well, thank you so much again. We will make sure to put all that info in our notes and we will get that to our listeners when they need it. So thank you. Thank you so much again, Natalie. We appreciate you coming on here. 
No, thanks for having me. Of course. Bye-bye. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. You can find me, Rachel, on Instagram at supersweetspeech or on my website, speechissupersweet.com. And you can find me, Claire, on Instagram at kindly underscore speech or on Facebook on kindly speech. And then you can email Rachel and I, if you have any questions or concerns, we are let's talk about speech podcast at gmail.com. Thanks.